Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. In this episode, we are discussing congressional details. For those of you not in the federal government, one of the best trainings a federal employee can complete is the detail, which is a temporary assignment to a position and sometimes even a different organization. I know personally I've gained so much from the details I have taken. How about you, Aaron? Yeah, most definitely. I, I think it's really probably been the most rewarding part of the job is the, the different opportunities that the Corps of Engineers has and just being able to see how the organization functions. So. I'm really excited to hear from our guest today about working for Congress and really going behind the scenes as to what that means. Well, that's enough about us. Let's dive into congressional details. With us today is Lauren Like and Mackie McIntosh. Thank you both for being here today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we get started into the conversation, we always like to get to know our guests. So Mackie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at USACE? Sure. My name is Mackie McIntosh. I've been with the Corps since 2003. Um, I started as a geologist in the Savannah District doing technical investigations uh, that supported all of our programs, civil, military, and uh, IRP. I moved up, upward and onward into project management and planning and eventually uh, as the Chief of Civil Works of the Savannah District where I oversaw the budgeting, planning, and execution of that program, including the $1 billion Savannah Harbor Expansion Project. Um, after being in that role for about six years, I took the detail over at the Senate Authorization Committee, the Environment for Public Works. And now I am a program manager at Headquarters USACE, working on the emergency supplemental team, where I manage the IIJA program, or the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the course portion of that. And Lauren, how about you? Thanks, Angie. Yeah, my name is Lauren Like. I started with the Corps in 2009. I actually came as a Presidential Management Fellow, which is a federal fellowship program, and I uh, started with the Institute for Water Resources, um, and so worked there for a number of years before actually taking a detail at headquarters at working with the revolutionized civil works team. So on the revolutionized team, I've been working on strategic communications and the alternative delivery program with Aaron, um, working on the Corps water infrastructure financing program and uh, the public private partnership program, which we are now calling the alternative delivery program. While I was doing that, this opportunity for the detail assignment over at the House of Representatives came up, and I was lucky enough to uh, take on that opportunity. So, so both of you have completed the, these details with Congress. Could you talk a little bit about the detail and what your responsibilities were while you were there? Uh, Lauren, let's start with you. Sure. So I worked for the House Appropriations Subcommittee for Energy and Water Development, which oversees the budgets for the Department of Energy, the Corps, as well as Bureau of Reclamation. And there are also a number of smaller independent agencies that that committee oversees. While there, I worked on what we would call the, the water team. So I worked on the Corps and Reclamation budgets while I was there. I worked on putting together the fiscal year 2022 energy and water appropriations bill specifically for the core and reclamation. Those, the task of putting together the bill, you know, included evaluating requests that we had received from members, a lot of analysis on 
earmarks because those started back up in fiscal year 2022 and in the house. Those are known as community project funding requests. I also wrote language for the appropriations bill and report. There were a lot of spreadsheets <laughs> to a lot of analysis of data and information in, in spreadsheets and, you know, other things like putting together memos and talking points and things like that. I also worked on putting together the Disaster Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act, or DERSA, as well as the various uh, continuing resolutions that we had, uh, unfortunately, in fiscal year 2022 before passing the, the final bill. And I did do a little work related to the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. So I uh, took a detail to the Senate Authorization Committee, which is the Committee on Environment and Public Works. I was there from January 2021 to January 2022. And in that role as the core detailee, I participated in a lot of uh, WERDA 2020 oversight activities. So when it comes to hearings to discuss how the core was implementing certain WERDA provisions, I was involved in writing all the memos and doing the background research and, and writing the questions and the lead-ins to the questions for the committee chair at the time, Senator Tom Carper of Delaware. I also participated in uh, certain discussions and negotiations related to the Drinking Water, Clean Water uh, Investment Act, which at the time, that, that's primarily an EPA bill. Um, but it was very closely related to a lot of things uh, in the Corps' purview. So I participated in those discussions, which eventually became a part of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. It was a really exciting time to be on the Hill, participating in the development of related bills uh, for other agencies, and then the very genesis of the WERDA 2022. Uh, that's how I ended my time, which was gathering, doing background research, writing legislative text along with help from our, our council services that will eventually form the core of the WERDA 2022, which we just received a markup for, I believe, this past week. So you mentioned WERDA, and can you talk a little bit about the process of putting together a WERDA and what that all entails? Certainly. Um, it's, it's challenging, to say the least. I was there during kind of a different part of the cycle. So um, like I mentioned, I did a lot of oversight on the previous WERDA because it had just passed. Um, and so we really didn't start developing WERDA 2022 until about, until about halfway through my detail. But the process was really, it was fascinating and it was super fast paced. And the way it starts is pretty simple. You look at the previous WERDA and the drafts and all, all the, the different provisions that may have fallen out and you look and you assess to see if there's a need to maybe try and reinsert those and bring those back up to the top. And then we look at all the chief's reports that have been provided uh, to Congress and any other decision documents. And we make obviously compile a list of all the projects needing authorization, make sure their paperwork is in order. Um, and then we also do a lot of outreach. So it's a lot of listening. We hear from non-governmental organizations, NGOs, uh, we listen to their concerns and their needs about CORE's performance and, and future direction that they want CORE policy to go. Uh, we do the same within the CORE. We talk with CORE senior leaders. And, you know, for me, based on my background, uh, reached out to those that I had relationships with and, you know, just asked um, what were their biggest challenges, things like that. So kind of get this overarching buckets of policy areas and then as you get those underneath your belt and you, and you see what the repeating answers are, you start to narrow in and focus on how that can 
eventually become a provision that may be helpful for the core to, to implement those policy changes in the future. I mean, that's, that's the nuts and bolts of it. Once you get all that together, we present that, of course, to the boss. Um, and we say, these are the, the big major areas we're focusing on. He can redirect, he or she redirects based on, on, you know, their discussions with other members and we move out from there. So we will negotiate. In my case, I was on the majority side. Um, so we would then contact our minority counterparts and say, hey, this is where we're headed. Get a feel for what we can agree on and, and what's going to be achievable versus those that are just nowhere near agreement. And we focus on that 80% that we can agree on and then we start negotiations from there. That's about where I jumped off and Maylee Boyce has since taken my place. She participated in those detailed discussions, which has resulted in, a, like I said, the draft markup bill, which was provided to the core last week. Thanks. That's really interesting. And, and listening to you talk, it kind of made me think we need to tell our listeners about the process here and how it works for the Corps of Engineers. And we're a two-step agency. Uh, we both get the authorization, which is one bill, and then separately we get the appropriations. And that authorization bill really is that foundation. And it kind of made me think back to the civics class and even that kid's cartoon that talks about the idea and how it becomes a bill. So it's really important for the court to get these ideas, they become the bill, but that just authorizes the court to do things. And then there's another step before anything can actually be done by the agency, that's the appropriations. And Lauren, you worked on the appropriations side of things. Could you tell us about the process of putting together an appropriations bill and how that works? Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to lay it out there, Erin. Um, so, yes, you need the authorization, but you also need the appropriations, which is the, the money side. So I worked over with the House Appropriations Subcommittee mid-April of 2021 is when I started, and I completed my detail about the end of March of 2022. Um, and during that time, I really got to participate in the whole process of the appropriations bill. It took a little bit longer this past year than we would normally like, but part of the reason was because we did start, we were a little delayed. The president's budget, that's usually where that kicks off the appropriations process when the president's budget request is released. Um, this in 2021, it didn't happen until the end of May. So about the end of May, the fiscal year 2022 president's budget was released. What we typically do is start with that request, then they will hold a number of budget hearings to talk with uh, political appointees and members of the administration about the president's budget. So congressional members will have questions for our leadership um, to better understand the budget and what the administration's priorities are. And then after those hearings complete, we'll usually have member requests due. So House members will put in requests about what they would like to see in the budget. And then what the Appropriations Committee does is analyze those requests along with the President's budget request and move forward with compiling the appropriations bill. That's generally the process. Again, things were a little wonky this past year because of the timing of the President's budget release, but that was generally the process that we followed. So the appropriations bill and report and one thing to know um, is that each appropriations bill does have an accompanying report, which contains more specific directions to the agencies, but it still has the same standing as law. So for our folks out there, our listeners who are members of the core, especially, it's always something to look at when the appropriations bill is passed is also look at the report for those um, specific directions on, on projects and, and programs that the core moves forward with. 
We have the appropriations bill and report. Those are first passed out of the subcommittee. So the subcommittee for energy and water passes the appropriation bill and report, and then they go to the full appropriations committee um, to be passed out of that committee, and then eventually to the House of Representatives. So that occurred in the month of early in July of uh, 2021 when we got um, the energy and water bill passed to the House of Representatives. So after that occurs, then you wait on the Senate to pass their bill, which they did. But then after that, you have to wait for congressional leadership to come together and really decide on the allocations that each bill received. In this past year, that's where we had a holdup in terms of majority and minority coming together to determine those top line numbers for the bills. But once we get our allocation for um, each bill, then we can proceed to conference. And so in conference, all four corners come together um, to negotiate the final appropriations bill. And four corners, what that term means um, is House majority and minority, <laughs> Senate majority and minority. And so that's what they call the four corners. And so all four sides come together to negotiate on numbers for each account. So taking the core's um, budget, so we negotiate numbers for each account, as well as um, funding levels for different programs and projects. And so there's a lot of back and forth during that time. Again, a lot of spreadsheets um, being traded in terms of uh, offers. But once we are in agreement, then we finalize the bill and report and move forward with voting it through the House and then the Senate and then eventually signed by the President. All of this is so interesting and it really does provide a new perspective. And I'm sure that both of you you have a different perspective coming back to your jobs at the core. And so, Mackie, can you talk about this newfound perspective and then share a couple lessons learned? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that is like y'all spoke in your in your introductory remarks about details and, and, and the value of them throughout your career. And, you know, that gained perspective, you can't even put a value on it because you don't know what you don't know. And uh, to get out and see how the core at large and other projects and other MSCs interact with these committees and, and the challenges they face, to see that from a national level, even if it's from the other side of the fence, is tremendously valuable. And I, I'm just, I'm so grateful that I was able to have that experience. For me, myself personally, I interacted a lot with North Atlantic Division because the senator I worked for um, was from the state of Delaware and that was his servicing MSC. Even that, I've, I made a lot of relationships um, in North Atlantic Division um, as part of my kind of oversight and, and, and watching those projects that uh, he had personal interest in. And what I learned uh, several things and beyond just my own personal experience and, and career growth and ability to bring that back to my job, I learned the Hill works at a lightning pace and, and you don't get it until you're sitting in the chair working 14 hours a day and you know, having someone tell you, I need it now, we're going to the floor now, blah, blah, blah. When we do technical analysis on, on draft legislative text in the core, which usually comes through future directions um, down to the district and then back up, you know, that responsiveness is absolutely critical uh, depending on where the Congress is in their bill cycle. And I learned that firsthand. So while I thought we were always being responsive from a district level. You know, I know that it has to go through so many levels of review before it comes back to the Hill. And that can be extremely challenging when you're sitting in the chair on the congressional side. 
because you may know the answer and you may have a personal feeling or you know a, per a view about it, but until you get that official response from the agency, you really can't move forward. And sometimes it's too late. Sometimes those things get dropped and you just have to move on to the next. So uh, that was certainly a lessons learned that I think the staff should take away is that you know future directions, they're a great group and they have so many balls in the air, but that that response time is critical to, to being sure that sometimes your project moves forward. The other lessons learned that I, I took away from the authorizing committee specifically is that both the committee chair, Senator Tom Carper of Delaware, and the ranking member, Senator Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, in general, they are fans of the Corps and they want to help the Corps deliver these critical mission areas and these critical infrastructure projects for the nation. They work together, uh, which was really nice to see some bipartisan effort. Um, they want to see some wins. They have tremendous influence on, on the future of core policy. So, you know, building those relationships, uh, whether it's at an enterprise level, whether it's at a local level with your congressional members is really important. And of course, we have rules and limitations on what on we can and can't provide and share. But in general, they can't help if they don't know what the problem is. So uh, that was that was really a tremendous insight that I learned while I was there. And one last thing, when you, if you take one of these details, it's it's an important point. Is you know don't forget you may be working for the committee staff, but at the end of the day, you are a core employee. And and while you may be working for a certain office, majority or minority, uh, you still come back and you represent the administration. So that's a little bit of a juggling act, and I appreciate all the support that Future Directions provided, that safety net and, you know, kind of rules of engagement. But it's it's certainly something to remember is when you're over there for a year, it's hard not to go native, but you need to remember that at the end of the day, you're serving the organization that you came from, uh, which I know and love, which is the Corps of Engineers. I think that uh, this detail gave me a different awareness about issues understanding the political implications of certain decisions is definitely something important to keep in mind, um, even though we as federal employees are not part of the political sphere, um, it definitely is important to understand the political aspects of issues and projects um, going forward. You know, as Naki said, our congressional interests, they want us to succeed as an agency. They appreciate the work we do and, and support the work that we do overall. And that's why communication and transparency are also really important um, is something that I learned while I was over there. It really helps the Corps to be open and honest about issues we are experiencing on projects that, you know, could potentially delay them or other things that are out there that could affect our projects. And so one of the things I learned is definitely uh, it is helpful to inform our congressional interests early about these issues and to be as transparent as possible, for sure. And I would also second that, you know, I got to work with some districts and divisions that I haven't worked with uh, frequently. So Chairwoman Captor is the chair of the Energy and Water Subcommittee. And so I got to work with the Buffalo District and LRD significantly and really appreciated their timely responses on questions about her projects and the projects within her district um, that she was really interested in. And so, you know, I think that open communication really helped um, achieve better outcomes. And one last thing I do have to say is I don't think I had any meetings <laughs> that were set up among Hill staff 
that were longer than 30 minutes. They were typically like five or 15 minutes. The longest meetings that I had while I was over there were with the core. So one of the things I think we also need to bring back is to try to make our meetings shorter and more efficient um, and, and get to the point as much as we possibly can. I feel like our standard mode over here at the core is to set meetings for an hour, but over there it's like, try to do it in 15 minutes if you can. <laughs> Absolutely. That was the standard time on my Outlook calendar on the Hill was 15 minutes because those were the segments that you worked in. It's a great point. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely get behind the 15 minute meetings. I think that's a, a great idea that we should we should take uh, and apply to the core. And it's interesting hearing both of you talk about the relationship between kind of Congress and the administration and working on the other side of the fence. And it kind of brings me back to the, the beginning of, you know, civics and, and realizing that these agencies work for the administration. So we are, as a Corps of Engineers, part of the administration, the executive branch. And then you have, obviously, the Congress that provides the authorization and the funding for us. So I guess, you know, we are near the end of our time together, but I really want to hear from both of you. Uh, what was the most surprising thing from your detail? And is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? You know, I think you hear a lot about the partisan nature of D.C. I wasn't as exposed to that. I think working for a committee, even though I worked for a House majority, what I saw is that majority and minority do really try to work together and support member requests from both parties where they can. I mean, obviously there's still disagreement, but they do try to work together. And for the most part, I thought had a pretty good working relationship of, on the subcommittee, House Minority only has one staff member working on energy and water development. So we would help her where we could with certain activities, you know, just certain information that we were compiling, share that with her when appropriate. And so I do think there was a a better working environment than I thought there would be going into this. And, you know, in terms of anything else to share, I really thought this was a fantastic opportunity. Yes, it was a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of long days and long weekends. But I'm really thankful for the opportunity and for the, the core allowing me to do this opportunity. And I would definitely encourage others to apply. Yeah, Lauren, that's a great point. And one that I would add as well is that, you know, between the committee staffers and, and what goes on inside those offices and those cubicles, it really, in my experience as well, was a pretty much a bipartisan effort. And, you know, everyone wants to get a bill across the floor. So to do that, you obviously have to find common ground. And, you know, I worked on both an EPA kind of themed uh, bill, and then I also worked on some core specific packages for WERDA 2022. And so those were kind of different committee staffers that we dealt with on minority. Both of those relationships were positive. And, you know, when we present those negotiated pieces of ledge text forward to the staff director and then to uh, the boss, for the most part, they were like, yep, that looks great because they know that they're trying to accomplish what is in the realm of achievable. So that was certainly my experience as well on the authorization side. Um, I will say for my personal experience, what I was most surprised at was, of course, the pace. I mean, we worked until sometimes if there was a bill on the floor, we were we were in the office until 1, 1.30 in the morning doing go backs for, for amendments. So whenever an amendment was presented on the floor, we immediately had to come up with a position and a statement 
for the committee chair to say to either encourage or discourage people to vote positive or negative on it. You know, the long days and long hours, while I expected it, you just can't, you can't get a feel for it until you go through uh, the intensity of it. But I will say what I was most surprised about in my personal experience was honestly the amount of latitude I was given and, you know, how much I felt like um, the committee and the senator that I work for listened and wanted to know my opinion. Trust me, there were days where I was getting coffee and making file labels and, you know, formatting spreadsheets and things like that. But there were, by the end of my detail, I was pretty much single-handedly kind of handling his his meetings and the memos. I would write them and it would be at 95%. I was able to staff the senator personally. And, and um, at the end of the day, it was really kind of gratifying to to know and understand and feel like, you know, I had gained a larger perspective that was valued when we talk about these national policy issues. So I'm tremendously grateful for it. I think it really opened my aperture in terms of my view of the core and, and how we interact. Um, it's tremendously valuable for me personally and anyone who does these details. Once you understand the process the way you do, then you're able to leverage that back in the organization. And that's of tremendous value to the enterprise, in my opinion. If you're in the civil works arena and you're looking to kind of broaden your horizons and understand some of these national issues, then I encourage you to put these types of details on your IDP and talk with your supervisor about your, you know, three, five, 10 year plan and make this part of uh, your development goals because it's it's not only tremendously valuable for the employee, but it's tremendously valuable to the enterprise to bring that knowledge back. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. And I just have to say, I don't think I would ever know as much about the core's budget and the whole <laughs> budget process unless I had this opportunity. So I would just really second everything that Mackie said. Thank you both for being here today uh, for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights to our listeners. We want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.